In 2017, the state of Arkansas rushed the executions of four people on death row with lethal injection because they wanted to use the drugs before they expired. What is known as the lethal injection used in the United States is made up of three drugs, and I'm going to butcher these names. Midazolam to sedate, vecuronium bromide to paralyze, and potassium chloride to stop the heart. The prisoner is escorted to the execution room by guards. Once there, they're strapped down to a gurney. This limits all types of movement. So their head, their arms, their legs, their torso, everything is strapped down. IVs are inserted into both of their arms where a dose of midazolam is injected through. 10 milligrams is enough to knock an adult out and suppress breathing. Arkansas doses at 500 milligrams for the lethal injection. This, if all goes well, is supposed to put the prisoner in a deep state of unconsciousness. In seconds, the drug has reached the brain and takes effect. After five minutes, the prisoner's unconsciousness is confirmed, quotations, and the rest of the injection can take place. Now, I said quotations because it's important to note that some experts believe that midazolam does nothing for pain relief and cannot produce a deep state of unconsciousness. It is contested. There are a lot of experts that say it does help with pain and it does put you in a state of unconsciousness, but I thought it was worth mentioning that there are some people that disagree. Next, vecuronium bromide is then injected into the other arm. Most medical doses I can find are like 0.2 milligrams or 0.3 milligrams that doctors use before surgeries. Now, I'm not a doctor. I got all this. I googled. I found a bunch of really complex medical papers um, that I'm not used to reading. So don't quote me on that. In Arkansas, they use 100 milligrams for lethal injection. So like that's a bit above. If the inmate really can feel pain, as some experts say, they would be hyper aware of it spreading through their body, paralyzing one limb at a time. It stops the lungs from moving as well, um, but the heart continues to beat. To finalize the execution, potassium chloride is then injected through the IVs. Without full sedation, it would feel as if liquid fire is being pumped through their veins. If the prisoner still isn't fully paralyzed, They will now start to spasm uncontrollably because potassium causes the muscles to contract. Finally, the heart will beat more and more irregularly until it beats one last time and stops. This is widely accepted as the most peaceful and humane way to execute a prisoner in the United States, the only Western country still executing people. So how did we fuck that up? How did we fuck this up? How did we fuck this up? How did we fuck this up? I don't think any of this is going to be fun. It's going to be another very lighthearted episode. (laughs) I was looking into the history of capital punishment, especially in the UK and the US, and it's so wacky. It is. So we're at a sort of point in time where most countries don't have the death penalty, which I think sometimes people forget, especially in America. There are countries that have retained it, and that's like the US. There are countries that have it on hold, 102 countries, I think, and then 32 countries have it completely abolished, I think. Well, I think one irony I've always found is that in the the West, you know, by that, so like Europe and the US... There's only one country that has a death penalty, and that's the US. <laughs> yep. So in a kind of weird sense, America has more in common with places like Saudi Arabia and Iran or parts of Africa than 
places like Europe, which people typically would associate America with. Most countries outlawed the death penalty in the sort of latter part of the 20th century. Technically, the UK got rid of the death penalty in 1965. But that's not technically true, because actually there were certain crimes that were still punishable by death in Britain until 1998, which for reference is a year after I was born. So that's how long the death penalty was around in the UK. But the last person to be executed in the UK, well, the last people to be executed were these two men. But then also quite famously, there was the last woman to be hanged was Ruth Ellis, who was like, I think she was like a prostitute who killed her husband after becoming obsessed with him. It's quite an interesting story, actually. But that was in 1955. So it's been about 50 years since someone's been executed in the UK. Wow. I know that the methods of execution in the UK have changed over the years too, because like obviously the UK, the land that is now the UK has been executing people for a long, long time. Oh, um, yeah. If you were going to look historically, I mean, Britain, like Great Britain, so going back to the British Empire, was probably one of the biggest executors of anyone pretty much for our history but that's just because of how long it sort of went on for interestingly there was this like famous like speech that was made in the house of commons in like the 1800s there were some crazy crimes that were punishable by death in the uk so there was stuff like being in the company of like romany people for like a month uh evidence of malice in a child aged seven to fourteen wait, 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 wait. the face or using a disguise it's like so <laughs> really weird but can we rewind to because i found this hilarious it's like obviously it's really fucked up yeah, it's yeah. not it's not cool but but mm. i found it found it kind of funny how like a person could be executed in britain for spending more than one month with romani people that yeah. is so weirdly specific and it's like it's like you can spend up to a month and that's fine but if you spend more than one month like you have to get your head cut off it's so strange it really is and it's really weird and also if if people aren't aware um romani people were once known as a as a g slur yeah and the terminology used back then was not (laughs) not favorable yeah obviously going back hundreds of years i mean you know the witch trials and all that kind of stuff the history of how people were killed (laughs) is quite colorful i say you know like stuff like being hung drawn and caught so what i found is that hanging became the standard execution in england in 1792 ish before that burning at the stake was standard until 1792 I mean, it was very popular throughout europe really yeah but funny thing is scotland in 1792 was like hmm and decided to keep burning after hanging became standard. Scotland liked burning people, so they, they kept that going. I guess it's cold up there. But <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's it's a community thing. It's a good time. It's a family event. Um, I also found that in 1822, the last person was hanged for shoplifting in oh, the UK. Wow. In 1822. I also found it was kind of interesting looking into the history of, of executions and stuff like that is... It's really tied in with um, with classism and with racism, where it shows kind of how the death penalty was used back in the day and how it honestly how it's kind of used today. There was the, uh, something in the UK called the Bloody Code, which is a really cool name. 
where basically the UK would pardon death row prisoners if the prisoners then went on to join the military or go to Australia to colonize Australia. So pretty much that's just like forced labor. That's that's because yeah. you have no other choice. It's like, we'll kill you or else you do this. Apparently buggery was something you could be executed for, uh, which is sodomy. Of yeah, there is a history of that. I mean, even up until like the 70s in the UK, people being in prison just for being gay. Gay people had it hard. But I think also... Another thing to remember is that still a lot of those kind of laws, even though they don't exist necessarily in developed nations quite as much or in America or Europe, they do still exist in a lot of countries. There are countries that you can be executed just for, I mean, your sexuality or anything, basically. Yeah, it's not in the past at all. It's edging in that way, and we'll get into that. Like we said, the last execution in the UK was like 1965. But at the time of like early America, <laughs> as an example, Thomas Jefferson wanted to, uh, he, he was more of a liberal man, right? He was on the left wing. He was more of a human rights type person. Definitely by their standards back then. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. He just wanted to castrate gay men instead of executing them. <sighs> oh, he's so nice. <laughs> So I think it's just kind of obvious when you look at the history of the capital punishment, the death penalty, it's like, it's so obviously biased and it's so obviously like made to keep people down or to force them into forced labor. Now, there's been a a gradual movement in the whole world since the 1800s to abolish the death penalty. Yeah, I mean, the number of countries that have abolished the death penalty has been increasing like year on year. Like, So from 1991, it's gone from 48 countries to 106. Obviously, the trend is that the death penalty is going away. But still, according to like Amnesty, still, I think it's like 140-something countries have abolished the death penalty, so that leaves every other country. Hitler still has the death penalty. This is interesting because let's say I read these lists of countries to most people. They probably wouldn't be able to figure out what it even was. The top 10 countries by number of executions is China, Iran, Saudi Arabia, Iraq, Egypt, the US, Pakistan, Somalia, South Sudan, and Yemen. Like the US to most people really stands out there. They're complete. The US is so different to every other country there. I think what it is is that the US really wants to be different. The US is is supposedly built on ideals of freedom and you know justice and stuff like that. So me as as an American, I see the death penalty as like just straight up un-American at its core. Right now, we're with Saudi Arabia and China when it comes to executing prisoners. I was looking into the history of the U.S. with the death penalty as well, and I found that in 1846, Michigan won the award of being the first state to abolish the death penalty. Wisconsin followed in 1847, and then it kind of like has been snowballing since. Right now, we have 20 of the 50 states of America have abolished the death penalty completely, but most have not really used it. So most have it technically, but they don't use it. Like people do not get executed as much now. And you can see that like in 1999, 279 people were executed. In 2008, 120 people were executed. And in 2016, 31 people were executed. It's been going down steadily, but there's definitely still a debate in America today about whether we should have it or not. And there's actually a debate in the UK is what we were talking about earlier. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the interesting thing is that in 
a lot of countries where they've abolished the death penalty, that's often not been because of public opinion. It's been because of the decision of the government on its own. Most statistics you'll see will actually show that much more people are in favour of the death penalty than you'd actually imagine. I mean, there's like a famous um, poll that was taken of people that voted Brexit and people that didn't, so people that were remain and leave. For leave voters, 50-something percent supported bringing back the death penalty. So not only supporting it, but they supported bringing it back. For remain voters, I think it was 20%. To me, even 20% is kind of crazy. So then half of a group of people, which considering what the outcome of that vote was, which was you know, basically 50-50, then half the country supports bringing back the death penalty. But then again, that wasn't the only thing asked in that poll. They actually asked a lot of laws whether or not they should be taken back. Some of these laws were returning to pre-decimal currency, so shillings, (laughs) bringing back corporal punishment, so like beating students, going back to traditional incandescent light bulbs and allowing people to smoke in pubs. All of that. <laughs> people want it all back. Well, do you do you have like the percentage of people that want kids being beaten in school? <laughs> so for people that voted for Brexit, forty two percent wanted corporal punishment to be brought back. Are you serious? Forty two percent. The funny thing is, is only eleven percent supported bringing back smoking in pubs. Which what the fuck? <laughs> 30% wanted to go back to incandescent light bulbs. And right, so the reason why that's a big thing is because it was the European Union that outlawed incandescent light bulbs because they're incredibly um energy inefficient. They're really wasteful lights. It's helping the UK but not by not using it. Yeah, it's, it both saves energy and is better for the environment. So incandescent light bulbs are basically worse in every way, but whatever. I will be honest, incandescent light bulbs do look good. Yeah, they do look cool. <laughs> but then even with like the opposite side, so with people that voted Remain, they still 20% supported the death penalty. Yep. And 14% supported corporal punishment in schools. <laughs> that one that one gets me. That's insane. That's I I have a list here of states of the top 10 numbers of executions since 1976, which is when the Supreme Court basically got together and said the death penalty is not great. They didn't officially say it's cruel and unusual punishment and that it should be abolished, but they definitely said it probably isn't a good thing to do. But since 1976, the top 10 states who have killed the most people are, can you guess what the first one is? Texas. It is Texas Mm. by a lot. Texas has executed 568 people since 1976. In second place is Oklahoma with 113 people. Virginia is at number three. It's kind of tied with Oklahoma because it also has 113 people. Now this, I got this from the World Population Review. Florida, 99. Missouri, 89. Georgia, 75. Alabama, 66. Ohio, 56, North Carolina, 43, and South Carolina at 43. So both of the Carolinas are are kind of on the same page there. As you can see, like some states do it way more than others. And I think it's important to talk about the different sections of the US because they really are very different culturally. It's abolished in some states and it's not in others. And that's just kind of part of America until it becomes a federal thing. Similar to like gay marriage and stuff like that. Now, one state that isn't on that top 10 state list that is a bit worrying to look at and is way overrepresented when it comes to prisoners on death row is 
California. In 2020, California had 724 prisoners on death row. That's insane. But they haven't executed a ton of people in like in a while. There's actually some news that I found about today which I don't know if you heard, um, the only woman on death row in all of America is going to face execution this month. I did see that. What's her name? Lisa Montgomery. Right. She's being executed on the 12th of January, which from the time that we're recording this is a week away. And that would make her the first woman to be executed since 1953. And if this execution goes through, Donald Trump will have overseen the most executions by any president ever, which is kind of insane. <laughs> yeah, the, the Trump administration has really, really been pushing for the death penalty to become more of a thing again. Biden actually has stated he wants to get rid of it. But I, I definitely think there needs to be some public pressure on Biden to do so for him to yeah. actually get rid of it. So I think because there is a, a pro and a con argument to the death penalty, we should maybe explore that a bit. Yeah, I think the whole death penalty debate, like the capital punishment, it's like one of the go-to debates that people have. Yeah. Like, let's say you were going to get a load of, I don't know, politics students or something to have an argument if you throw that at them. <laughs> oh, they'll have a great time. They'll keep going because there's no real way to resolve it properly. So obviously... I think with like the death penalty usually, it's basically just the whole old school eye for an eye thing. So let's say someone kills someone that I know, then it's like, now they deserve to die. It's a moral argument on one level where you're saying they deserve to die because X. That's kind of like a philosophical question. So that's not like a political thing in a way. Different people have different opinions on that. I personally don't think you can say that someone deserves to die personally. But I understand if people think that because I guess different religions and stuff. That's probably the biggest argument people have is they deserve to die. So that's probably the first big one. As like a revenge type thing? Another part of it is it's kind of like an emotional thing. So let's say someone murdered a family member. The kind of emotional trauma that they created is enough to justify killing the person that committed the act, if you know what I mean. Most of the arguments for the death penalty... They're usually just to do with this idea of right and wrong, not really much else. Because the other argument, I guess, is like cost. So some people say that it's cheaper to execute people. Now, obviously, the problem with this is that in the US, that's not true anyway. Not at all. <laughs> yeah. But then I guess you could say, well, what if it was cheaper? I remember like I saw someone say, oh, the only reason why... The death penalty is bad is because it's so expensive to do that it makes no sense to do it. So what they should do is make it easier to execute people. <laughs> but then obviously the problem is there is that then it's more likely that you'll kill innocent people. So then it's like the only way it works really, like even on like a kind of practical level, is if basically anyone can be executed for any reason which is kind of crazy if you're going to say that. So, I mean, some people probably think that, though. I, I bet there are. Yeah. I, bet, I, I mean, And some countries are like that. And I feel like some countries do do it that way, where they're kind of like, well, if we just make it really quick, so like, we've decided you're guilty, now you're dead. I mean, that is, I mean, it probably doesn't cost much. But then the, the likelihood that they're wrong is going to be like through the roof. You have to have a trial. Yeah. You cannot not have a trial and execute mm. someone. That's just that's just not an option. <laughs> I've got the statistic here. It costs in, in America two to three million dollars per case 
for someone to be executed. The cost is insane. But there's a reason why there's that cost, and the reason why the cost is there is because killing someone legally is a very difficult thing. So, like, someone who's convicted to be executed, it's not like, all right, now you're going to die, bish, bash, bosh, you're dead. They're going to be in prison for possibly decades. There'll be like loads of like attempts to try and get them out of prison from their lawyers because I think in America, like every prisoner has the right to an appeal. And if you took away that right, that would kind of be going against the whole idea of law. That should always be there, right? Exactly. It's, and that's that's kind of why I think that these people that are arguing for, like, you know, rushing these executions like Trump is doing or, you know, really being pro, let's execute people willy-nilly, like, that to me sounds so un-American because yeah. you would think the American thing would be to be all for the legal system to work it out. Yeah, exactly, yeah. But it's, it's so disturbing to me to see. But one thing I always find ironic with the types of Americans that will support the death penalty. And by that, I guess I mean like more sort of right-wing Republicans in America that support the death penalty. They will also be against abortion almost always. And I find that really ironic. So like on one hand, they're really pro-sanctity of life where it's like all life is sacred. But then I guess in their mind, the minute anyone does anything that they think is slightly wrong, then immediately they deserve to die. The one thing I will say, though, because I think in America it's assumed that, like, oh, it's only like Republicans that are pro death penalty, blah, 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 blah. But the thing is, is that a lot of Republicans in America aren't pro death penalty for, because this is a, a big reason against the death penalty, is the idea that the state should not have the power to kill people. Yep. You know, the government shouldn't have the power to kill someone. So there's loads of people on the right that you would think would support it, but don't because it's more of a like anti-big government kind of thing. That would be a traditional Republican standpoint because like the traditional Republican, as we know it, would stand for a smaller government that has less say in the average person's life where the average Democrat would probably want a bigger government with, with you know healthcare and stuff like that. The places I do agree with traditional Republicans is when it comes to I I don't think the state should ever have any say in whether a person lives or dies. I think euthanasia should be allowed. I think abortion should be allowed. There's another like hypocrisy, though, that I've seen, though, which is that so obviously there are a lot of Republicans that are against the death penalty for that reason. But then oftentimes those same people will still um, support wars which are, in a sense, the exact same thing. In a Mm -hmm. way, you know, it's like the government killing people. There is very, very, very little evidence to support the death penalty being a thing still. Let's talk about just the financial facts first. An Oklahoma 2017 study found that capital cases cost 3.2 times more than non-capital cases. Um, So the case is going to be more expensive if the death penalty is up for grabs. Florida 2000 study found that capital cases cost the state $51 million a year over what life in prison would cost it. So we could save $51 million in Florida every year if we just didn't have the death penalty. So a comprehensive Duke study in 1993 found that the death penalty costs North Carolina $2.16 million per execution over life imprisonment, which I think people don't really realize that. I think people think that it's Mm. cheaper to execute people. It's not. 
It's so expensive. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of like what I was saying about the hypocrisy, where it's like the sort of people that I think in America would be um, pro-death penalty, maybe this is like a jump, but I don't think it's much of a jump, but they're probably against putting money into things like healthcare and stuff. But then they're okay with putting money into like the opposite death care, I guess. <laughs> it is like we. Why is our money? Because there are so many other places our money could be going to. Mm. So yeah, there's yeah. no financial argument for the death penalty. There's not a single one. To jump onto the next <laughs> argument against it, in 2010, Lake Research Partners did a poll and found that 61 percent of voters want an alternative to the death penalty. So that is definitely the majority of Americans do not want the death penalty. So in 2019, I'm going to use this as an example, um, mental health has a big, big, big effect on people, right? 19 of the 22 people executed in 2019 had signs of significant evidence of mental illness. That's nine people. Eight people had evidence of brain injury or damage or an IQ in an intellectually disabled range. So the argument there is that they aren't fully aware of what they're doing. And 13 of the 22 had chronic serious childhood trauma, neglect, and or abuse. You know, we could be putting this money into a mm. system that maybe helps these people. <laughs> these are all people yeah, that yeah. could have been helped and that could have... To play devil's advocate, though. Yeah. Because I should yeah, definitely yeah, go do it. that. Go more. for it. <laughs> Some people would say, well, there's some people that people are just like, we can't really do anything with them. What do we do with people that are completely beyond the fray? If it's too late, obviously I agree with you. Yeah. That if you intervene before people get to that place, then you can prevent people becoming the sorts of people that do horrible things. Right. But what happens once they already are and you can't do anything about it? So- what do, what do we do? The, the general consensus I'm getting here while researching is that having people in prison for life, a life imprisonment, obviously not enjoyable. It is far cheaper for the country and the state. It is much more humane um, because even if it's somebody so far gone like Ted Bundy or something, we can't be stooping to their level when it comes to violence. Yeah. That, that just doesn't make sense to me. And it, and it seems kind of like primitive to me. There's one other reason that people often argue for death penalty, and I'll put this to you on plain devil's advocate. Okay, okay. What about the idea that it's not necessarily about the fact that you're punishing someone for doing a crime? It's more about scaring other people into not doing the crime, if you know what I mean. Right, like as a deterrent. So this is a survey of former and present presidents of the country's top academic criminology studies. So these are like the expert people on this stuff. This is all they do. 88% of them said the death penalty does not work as a deterrent to murder and that there is no evidence that it works as a deterrent. I know it sounds kind of weird, but I think that's common sense. Because, <laughs> right, okay, imagine you're a murderer. Right. If you are a murderer, do you think you're the sort of person that is even caring about what's going to happen after you commit your crimes? Surely people that murder people, they've kind of, that's, they've gone beyond that point. You know, serial killers that go on like rampages and it's like, well, first of all, if they really care, they'll do what they often do, which is commit suicide. So that often happens. Yeah. I feel like shoplifters might be scared, but it's not. You don't get executed for shoplifting. Murder is not a willy nilly. Like nobody's just going around going like, "Yeah, oh, I'll, I feel like murder. I'll just murder." I guess right now. <laughs> but even then, like most murders are out of passion. They're not premeditated. So how do you stop that anyway? Because 
the whole point, if it's not premeditated, is that they did it out of almost like a reflex. It's like the government thinks that it acts as like a firewall right before you kill mm. someone. It, it pops up and it's like, are you sure you'll get executed? It's like, that's just not how it works. And nobody, <laughs> nobody yeah. is thinking about that. If they're in, if they're in like a passionate moment where they, they're really, they're angry enough to kill someone, they're thinking about everything else besides the fact that there's a fucking, is there a death penalty in the state or not? I also did some digging into the history in the U.S. of the death penalty and the types of people it targets. In the U.S., you, I, I, I'm sure you won't be surprised to hear it has historically targeted Native Americans and Black Americans. Back in the time of slavery, enslaved people that killed their masters, even in like self-defense or anything, always executed. Slave revolts, inspiring slave revolts in North Carolina you could be executed for. So a lot of that ties to minorities in the U.S., and I think this is me extrapolating a bit, but I think that to think that that isn't a core reason for the death penalty and has been for a long time, if to think that it's different today is just naive, I think. And it's not really paying attention to the history of it. It's at the very least historically intrinsically linked to you know the history of racial injustice in America, similar to the kind of stuff that we were talking about in the last episode, is that minorities anyway, just full stop, are convicted at way higher rates anyway. So it's no surprise that that also applies to executions. And also, I guess you have to remember also that the states that execute the most are also historically the most famously um, intolerant of other races, yeah. <laughs> which is obviously not a good mix of things i actually i have some um some facts here about specifically about race and its connection to the death penalty in the u.s so this is from a, a modern report 1998 professor baldus report to the aba in 96 percent of the states that have been studied for race and the death penalty and the connection between them there and i this is a quote was a pattern of either race of victim or race of defendant discrimination or both 96 percent, and that was in 1998 so it's not like you know 1940 it wasn't like the 1800s it was 1998 South Park was out. And jurors in 2014 Washington State are apparently three times as likely to sentence a black defendant to death than a white one. And in 2005, in a California um, study, the defendant is three times less likely to be given the death penalty if the victims are black, not white. And four times less likely to get the death penalty if the victims are, are Latinx people. So I guess this links to the whole criminal justice system in America, which I think people forget is still people making decisions. Yes. Yeah. And people obviously fall prey to their prejudices. Mm -hmm. And this, I just thought this fact was crazy. 2005 is when the Supreme Court said that children should not be sentenced to death. So if you committed a crime as a child, you could be executed for that until 2005. Oh, another thing that I probably should have said, which is often argued for a reason to have the death penalty. What about using death penalty as a way to give closure to the surviving victims or loved ones? What about that? Does that work? Mm. Well, from what I can tell, it doesn't work. So there was a study done by Marquette University Law School which was basically assessing the impact of the death sentencing system on the surviving members of families or victims or that kind of thing. Right. And it's pretty clear that 
If anything, the whole death sentencing process is worse for victims. If your argument is that the death sentence is good because it provides closure for family members, in a sense, it's kind of like human sacrifice. If you think about it, mm. it's very similar to like what the ancient Aztecs or Mayans did, because in a sense, you're kind of using a human as an offering. This study is, I think, one of the strongest arguments actually against the death penalty. In a way, you're creating two events that is going to upset someone. Let's say one of your family members was horribly murdered or something like that. You have to then spend decades of your life anticipating the death of the person that killed that person. And then in your mind, I guess you're kind of telling yourself, once they die, all the pain I feel will be gone or something, because everything's sort of built around that final judgment. And then obviously that day comes, and it doesn't do anything because it can't, because really what they want is for that person to come back alive that they lost, and that's not going to happen. I was reading some really quite sad quotes. There was a really interesting section where people were talking about their reaction to seeing the execution. And either the reaction was, I didn't feel anything, it just felt like nothing changed, or their reaction was, they wanted it to be worse. I wanted them to suffer even more. That just doesn't sound mentally healthy for anyone. Exactly, yeah. You're playing into this pain that people are feeling. Moving on, to me, makes more sense. That seems like a better way of dealing with something like that, as opposed to clinging on feeling that you have to exact a kind of revenge. That's kind of what you hear in therapy is, is it's, just, it's, not, it's not healthy to just be fixating on something and, and to also just like relive such a traumatic experience like that. It's just, it's not good for you. So I think, I think we've talked about both sides now, I guess. I mean, obviously, look, to the listeners, we know we're biased. We know it. Take what we say with a grain of salt. Look at our resources. We're going to put our sources up on our website and on the Instagram and everything. Don't just take our word for it. Whether you disagree with us politically or not, or the thing you should ask yourself is, why is it important that the state kills this person? Is it an eye for an eye thing? Is it avenging a death in some way? Is it you feel like they should pay? There are so many different reasons for people to be pro or against anything, but this is definitely a... It's it's something to ask yourself, and I think it's something that most people now, especially in the US, should have an opinion on because it is a modern issue. It being a modern issue actually is what made us want to do this episode. We started thinking about doing this episode after the case of Brandon Bernard. He, You might have seen some posts on Instagram or on wherever you go. I don't know. I'm so out of fucking touch with social media. I don't know how to use Twitter still. But anyway, so the case of Brandon Bernard popped up. And let me just give the context here. In 1999, northwest of Belton, Texas, 18-year-old Brandon Bernard was out with a group of four other teenage boys. Their ages ranged from 15 to 19. Planning on robbing someone, they asked Todd and Stacy Bagley, two married youth pastors, to give them a ride from a gas station. The Bagleys agreed, and Chris Vialva, the 19-year-old and the oldest of the group, held them at gunpoint and forced them into the trunk of their car. While the teens drove around for several hours using the Bagley's ATM cards to steal large amounts of money, the couple pleaded with them from the trunk. They asked their attackers to accept Jesus under their hearts and spare their lives. But the boys had other plans. After pulling into a public park, the boys doused the car with lighter fluid. The Bagley's sang, Jesus loves us, while waiting for their fate. Vialva shot both of the pastors in the head, and then Bernard set the car on fire. 
Autopsies later showed that Stacy was not killed by the gunshot, but by smoke inhalation, meaning she was still alive after being shot in the head when Bernard set the fire. So obviously, and Isaac, I think that's the first time you're hearing this too, right? Mm, Yeah. Obviously bad crime. But again, that question pops up. What is the point of killing him 20 years after the fact? And and this is what popped up on Instagram, and I'm sure you saw some of this, where Brandon Bernard's name was everywhere leading up to his execution. He's one of the guys that Trump was really pushing to execute. And it turned into this argument. I saw people arguing, well, he did a bad thing. Like, he 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 helped kill those people. He was part of this. And I, yeah, he was. But why do we feel executing him is necessary? I guess it's that whole sense of justice. You even see it with, like, smaller things. So I remember after um, George Floyd was killed, what was often happening was that people were digging up loads of stuff about him to justify how, oh, well, actually, it was fine that he was killed because actually he was really bad for all these other reasons that were unrelated to why he actually died. You'll often see that people will kind of reverse justify killings when it doesn't even, like, even if it were true, like, even if there was this kind of, like, (laughs) objective marker of whether or not someone deserves to live or something, right? The thing is, is that what's important is carrying out the law and whether or not it actually works what you're doing. With something like that, the, the important thing should just be How do we prevent something like this happening again? How do we protect people from that person, so the person that doused the car? And what do we do with the survivors or the family of the person that died, and how can we make it easy for them? That should literally all that should be going through people's head, not how do we get back at them, eye for an eye. Right. It just seems kind of outdated, doesn't it? If you want to hear uh, Brandon Bernard's last words, picture yourself in that that first thing we talked about, the way we opened up this episode with the lethal injection. That's that's how he was executed. He was strapped to the gurney at this point, and he was looking towards the witness room windows to the people who were observing his execution. He lifted his head up and he said, I'm sorry. That's the only words that I can say that completely capture how I feel now and how I felt that day. I wish I could take it all back but I can't. If my death is what's needed to help pain, then so be it. I find those last words so, so sad. And the the family responded, the family of the victims responded by saying they actually accept his apology. That's really interesting because um, in the study talking about how people who go through that system, you know, loved ones of the deceased, Usually what they're hoping for is that the people that committed these crimes completely repent, if you know what I mean. But So it's interesting hearing that, that when that did happen, they kind of accepted it, because I guess it seemed genuine, because it was. They, they said that uh, it felt like a very genuine apology and that he clearly has grown. But then that brings up the question, it's like, what does killing him do then? Exactly. Who yeah. is it for? Brandon Bernard really, I I believe, really truly regretted his pretty serious crime. I'm not trying to downplay the crime, but I I just personally, I I don't think killing him did anything. Kim Kardashian somehow got involved with this. She appealed. There's a picture of her in front of Donald Trump, and she's like talking to a mic. And she like was appealing to Donald Trump to not execute Brandon Bernard. She would go and like talk with him. She would talk with him about crocheting. They had long conversations and stuff. I don't know how Kim Kardashian got involved with this, but she was heavily involved with this. Good on her. The hero we didn't know we needed. So I'm going to let Isaac take it away from now with the statement from the attorney of Brandon Bernard. This came after his execution, and I thought it was pretty relevant. 
Isaac. Tonight, those of us who love Bernard, and we are many, are full of righteous anger and deep sadness at the actions of the federal government in taking his life. Brandon's life mattered to us, his legal team, to his two beautiful and talented daughters, to his mother, brother, and sister, and to the countless people and the country he came to know him and his story in recent weeks. Brandon made one terrible mistake at age 18, but he did not kill anyone, and he never stopped feeling shame and profound remorse for his actions in the crime that took the lives of Todd and Stacy Bagley, and he spent the rest of his life sincerely trying to show, as he put it, that he was not that person. Brandon showed us that, and so much more, carrying himself with grace and generosity, and always treating everyone around him with kindness and respect. He worked to help other troubled kids avoid similar devastating mistakes, and he lived every day his commitment to serving both God and humanity. Many things went wrong to put Brandon on death row, including egregious government misconduct in concealing evidence and misleading the jury, which the courts refused to remedy. Before Brandon's execution, five of the jurors who sentenced him to death said they no longer stood by that verdict. They joined the lead appellate prosecutor on Brandon's case in urging President Trump to commute his death sentence to life without parole. Those pleas for clemency were joined by hundreds of thousands of supporters, including celebrities, faith leaders, and members of the United States Congress. Brandon's execution is a stain on America's criminal justice system, but I pray that even in his death, Brandon will advance his commitment to helping others by moving us closer to a time when this country does not pointlessly and maliciously kill young black men who pose no threat to anyone, when we hold prosecutors to the highest standards of integrity in every case, and when our leaders exercise their moral authority where it is needed. We were proud to call Brandon our client and our friend, and we will miss him greatly. Robert C. Owen, attorney for Brandon Bernard, December the 10th, 2020. So obviously, like Brandon Bernard is is not the only person to be executed like this. He's not going to be the last either. Dustin Higgs in Maryland is facing a similar thing right now. I'd like to end this episode on a more positive note, though, <laughs> so so we don't leave you completely depressed and drained. The, the good news here is that things are changing and they're changing because the majority of people are agreeing that this needs to change. But what we need to do is we need to really, really make sure that we're putting public pressure on this issue for our politicians. We just need to be making a lot of noise about this. This is something that needs to change as soon as possible. Joe Biden could possibly be the president to abolish the death penalty in the United States. The only way he will do that is if the people make him do it. So you have the power, I guess is what I'm saying. Anyway, another very uh, heavy episode. Thank you guys for for bearing through it with us. It's an important topic. It's not always going to be this incredibly dark. There's been a lot of death. <laughs> we are. We will vow right now. The next mm. thing we record will be funny. It's always useful, and I think kind of fun. Even though it's right, that was dark. 
I think it's fun looking into it because that's like one of the oldest debates in the book. Who will live and who will die? I mean, that's pretty deep. Yep. It's very dark, but really important and the sort of things that people should think about more. And timely. But yeah, no, uh, thank you for listening. Um, please, please come back. If you have any ideas, if there's anything that you would like to figure out how it mm. got so bad, anything at all. I would be so interested to hear people's opinions on this. People have very different opinions on all this. Yeah, call us out if we said some dumb shit. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, as per usual, you know, please leave a review on your podcast app review thing. Follow us on all of the social medias. So that's at How Did We Fuck This Up? And that's F C K, not F U C K. But it's been great having you guys yeah. here. We love chilling out. Yeah, with we, you. we really, really do. Yeah. We consider you our best friends. We're talking directly to you. You think this is part of the podcast. This is a live stream. You might be listening to this on a train. You might be listening to this in a car. You could be lying down on your bed, sitting on your sofa, doing the, the dishes. Whoever that is and whatever you're doing, stop doing it and tell us how much you love us. <laughs> we have no other social interaction. We desperately need validation. Please. Because we're insecure. Please. But anyway, thanks for joining us again. We've enjoyed your company. We love you. We love you. We love you.